0: You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, The Doctor's Lounge is broadcast on America's Web Radio on Thursdays and Fridays, uh, courtesy of the Wizard of Radio, Internet Radio, uh, David Moxley, and we always thank him for his work in supporting uh, the Doctor's Lounge. Uh, The Doctor's Lounge is... Uh, sponsored by the Doctor-Patient Care Foundation, a 501c3 organization devoted to education, uh, devoted to the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship, devoted to uh, the notion that quality care cannot occur uh, as long as there is third-party interference. The best medical care comes when there is a doctor, a patient, a conversation, and nothing else. Anything else that interferes with that uh, doctor-patient relationship detracts from the quality of that uh, uh, relationship. So we invite you to go to our website, uh, docsforpatientcarefoundation.org, and you will hear more information about that in the breaks between segments. Uh, please give generously, share what you can. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we cannot function uh, without your financial support. So thank you very much for that uh, in advance. Uh, we are uh, also delighted to announce uh, again uh, that we have uh, another sponsor. We have the Heartland Institute. Um, which is a wonderful institute that uh, th- that supports a lot of initiatives, but they have a very strong healthcare arm, and they have a publication called Healthcare News, uh, which is published monthly, and we invite you to read that. And you know, between Benjamin Rush Institute, which Dr. Beth Haynes, my guest today, uh, supports uh, Healthcare News and the Doctors Lounge, you can learn everything that you need to know about healthcare policy. Part of what I like to do when it 's my turn to be behind the microphone, of course, I, I share weeks with the inimitable Dr Hal shirts, uh, but when it 's my turn, part of what I like to do is to reacquaint you, the listener, with who doctors are and how we do what we do and why we do what we do, uh, and that becomes important and it becomes uh, you know, punctuated at certain points in time, and this is one of those points in time because we know, and we 've talked about this before in the past, that there are other competitive stakeholders in healthcare, right? Physicians and patients are the least powerful force in healthcare. care. That's wrong. We seek to change that. Uh, but it is a fact at this point in time. And the problem is that the other competitive stakeholders cannot stand the idea that doctors and patients, when they get together, they have so much power. And so they seek to destroy that relationship in order to better themselves. And we have a recent tragic, shameful example of that uh, from a place I never expected, quite frankly, um, a place that I've always trusted, uh, Consumer Reports. Um, I guess uh, it appears that Consumer Reports would like to become the National Enquirer uh, when it comes to uh, talking about health care and medicine. And my guest, Dr. Beth Haynes from the Benjamin Rush Foundation, is here to help me tease out this uh, awful report. Beth, thanks for being with us. Well,
2: thank you, Mike. I'm excited to be here.
1: So um, you read this thing, and we've talked about this uh, briefly. Um, it, what is this this report?
2: Well, the, the report um, had, uh, kind of lists a number of really tragic occurrences that happen in medicine. There are people who, uh, doctors who are practicing medicine who shouldn't be. We know that those are out there. And, and because of that, patients are harmed. Um, so the, the Consumer Reports put out this article, which is really, highlights all of the negatives, but unfortunately, they're not telling the whole story. So if you talk about these tragic injuries that occur to patients that we don't want to have happen, of course we don't want to have happen – And there's physicians who are impaired by drugs or mental illness or a variety of things, incompetence. Yes, we need to find them. But the report, unfortunately, concentrated only on that aspect of the need to survey and monitor physicians. They completely ignored the fact that there are also physicians out there whose lives and careers have been completely destroyed by I don't know what else to term it other than a than a witch hunt, um, inappropriate, inaccurate accusations that ruin doctors' lives, even though that they're wonderful doctors and very competent, and so forth. And and the, just we need to look at the whole picture. And unfortunately, this Consumers Report only focused on those stories that you know. Pluck the heartstrings of people who are concerned about patients, and yes, we need to be concerned about patients, but that's not the whole story.
1: Well, this this report, just from the from the very get go, uh, just reeks of sensationalist journalism. You know, if you look at the photographs, right, you can look at this article online or you can look at it in the you know the paper publication. Uh, both of those have very unflattering pictures of physicians. The and they're made up. They're they're made-up pictures. They're they they're just they're photographic mock-ups. And the one that's online Uh, ...shows this menacing photograph of a physician in surgical garb sort of coming at you with a stethoscope like it was some sort of weapon. And the cover of the paper publication uh, has a picture of a doctor with a martini in his hand and his hair all disheveled and a pill bottle sticking out of his pocket and 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 so the whole thing i mean it looks like the cover of national inquirer it looks like you know filthy crappy sensationalist garbage uh and and that's what most of the article is 90 percent of the space well maybe not 90 even three quarters of the space of the column inches if you will in this article is devoted to just like you're saying Beth. these anecdotal stories you know once upon a time there was a doc who was surgically incompetent here's five pages about it. Once upon a time, there was a doc who, you know, was sexually abusing patients. And I don't mean to to downplay those things. They're bad, and those folks need to be found, and they need to be routed out and taken out of the practice of medicine. But out of, you know, 1.2 million docs that have been in practice since 1990, the fraction of folks who do that is exceptionally small, and it's probably no different than the fraction of people who suffer from these maladies in any
2: other walk of life. Oh I think you're I think you're spot on with that with with that Mike. It just, it's just it's sensationalist and it's one-sided and uh, it just plays to that emotional p- appeal of people who feel vulnerable and it emphasizes all the negative there I mean it's not that so the pictures and the stories are very sensational they do quote some statistics but the statistics that they that they quote again ignore the full picture, and if we're going to try and find solutions to the problems of impaired or incompetent physicians, we cannot ignore the fact that when you dial up the scrutiny, you are all, it's kind of like, you know, if you're fishing for salmon, you're going to catch some tuna, you don't want, whatever, you know, you just, you have to be careful about how those... Regulations or the quality measurements are actually put out there because if you're also catching the innocent and you're destroying their lives and their practices, that needs to be very careful. One, I mean, one of the things that, that people are completely unaware of is the incredibly high rate of physician suicide in our Absolutely. country. And a lot of that has to do with the this one sided sensationalist um, the patient is the only victim you know there are patients who are 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 harmed and need um, to be made whole however we can do that but you can't ignore the fact that there are are also physicians part of this whole system that are also being Um, victimized to the same extent.
1: Absolutely, and it's and you know, we need to make this point time and time and again during this broadcast we have no interest as the article implies we have no interest in protecting these people, we have no interest, if if there was a, a magic method of figuring out exactly who was incompetent and who was doing, you know, heinous crimes like sexual abuse on patients and all those sorts of things, we want them out as fast as anyone else Consumer reports did not invent the concept of of identifying and removing folks that are a hazard to their patients, and you know nobody disagrees with that. The problem is twofold: uh, the problem is just like you 're saying Beth, you have to have a process that is that is zero tolerant for errors for uh, you know, for false positives, if you will, uh, for the identification of physicians and and the removal of physicians the, the deprivation of their livelihoods when uh, many in many instances, you know, the process is flawed and identifies and removes people who shouldn't be. That's number one, and number two is this is the implication by this article with its menacing pictures and its its photographs of actual physicians. Uh, to suggest that you know these folks are on every street corner, and you know stepping into a doctor's office or a hospital is always a dangerous thing is sort of the feeling that you get from this article, and nothing could be further from the truth.
2: Uh, you know, and I don't think people are aware of the fact that when you apply for hospital privileges, you apply for malpractice insurance. There's all these very intrusive questions about what is your history for your mental health. Um, and and how punitive that system has become so that if an a physician admits to okay I have a problem I want help and they try and seek help for that 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 it actually becomes a punitive system there's not a way for there's not the same kind of protections for physicians that everybody else in in the country has for um, issues of mental health and their their private um, health records. Now, yes, we want to find those people who are, um, you know, are incompetent or a danger to patients. But on, but you don't want to do that to the, such an extent that you're discouraging physicians who recognize that they need help and can benefit from help from being able to seek it. But the, but the way things are currently set. It, it really discourages physicians from even being able to reach out and get the help that they can get when they need it prior to becoming a danger to patients. Um, and, and people just don't think about that. No,
1: yeah, Well, it encourages secrecy it, 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 because if you, if you try to do the right thing, just like you said, uh, you'll be punished. And so if you're if you're on the edge if you're you know having a problem in the early stages of course you're not going to report it because you know you're not going to get you're not going to get any sort of you know, positive response from that The response is you're going to get, you know, kicked to the curb And so, you know, of course I mean, docs are human beings too There's an interesting quote uh, from the article uh, That says it's, um, you know it, It's easier to find out if your toaster is going to catch fire Than it is to find out if your doctor has a problem You know, what a stupid quote I mean, you know, a toaster and a doctor aren't quite the same thing Thank you very much uh, You know, it's easy to stop building a defective toaster And build another one uh, You know, it, it doesn't take Four years of college, four years of medical school, and seven years of residency and fellowship to build a toaster, and uh, you know, it, the, so many of the comments in the article coming from you know people who on paper appear to be qualified. I mean, people from Harvard and everything else, uh, and and it, it is so disappointing um, to see Consumer Reports and the folks who supported this article uh, create this body of work. I, I think it. It it may be, and again, this is conjecture. I I wonder if this isn't sort of a change in, in Consumer Reports' vision. I'm not sure, but we've reached the end of the first segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Dr. Beth Haynes.
0: With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Thank you.
2: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek. Thanks very much for spending time with us today. We have very special guest, Dr. Beth Haynes, who I am proud to say, uh, excited to say, that Beth is the the newest member of our board at Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So I don't know if I've said it yet, but I I just can't tell you how excited I'm and have you. As a as a part of the team, and, a, and already in this short time since you've been officially a member, had been such a tremendous asset to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So thank you so much for that, Beth.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. I'm um, really honored to be part of it, the team.
1: I tell you, it's uh, it it just seems to get better and better every day. And you know, I, I don't I don't know how to convey to the listeners how the the level of, of intensity and the level of excitement and the, the level of, of optimism for the future just seems to grow with, uh, with every passing week, I think. We're talking today about uh, this article at the other end of the happiness spectrum, uh, this, this article by Consumer Reports. Uh, and so we're going to turn the tables on them today, right? We're going to rate them. So Consumer Reports, you know, they've got this rating system from, you know, a red target to half a red target to a white circle to half a black circle to a fully dark black circle for things that really stink that you shouldn't buy. And uh, I think Consumer Reports gets a full black red circle. Um, only because there is no rating that allows for two full black red cir- or black circles uh, you know yeah they i give consumer reports the lowest possible rating for this
2: article don't you think for this article you know they do a lot of good work but i agree with you for this for this article
1: well yeah well and that's the thing that kind of blows my mind here beth you hit the nail on the head i mean i've i've got a subscription to some consumer reports and sadly they just collected my annual fee a couple of weeks ago so i can't call them up and cancel it for another year um, but I, I wonder if this isn't some sort of sea change within their organization. I mean, is, does somebody—and this is—and again, uh, for the record, highly speculative. No evidence of this besides the uh, the article itself. Um, but I wonder if this isn't some desire to know. get into cons- I, I, investigative I, I, journalism.
2: Yeah, I I think that it's it's a sensationalist kind of an article, and it it's going to sell things, and it and it really speaks to people's fear and it's really it's very very sad and that fact that they it's just so biased and does not give the whole story if we are going to to really adequately um, be able to address any of these issues whether it's physician incompetency or whatever issue you really absolutely have to look at all the evidence that's available not just the positive effects of being able to root out physicians who are incompetent or impaired. But if you overdo it, what happens? And I, I would like to give a shout out to a physician who is doing some really wonderful work. Her name is Pamela Weibel, W-I-B-L-E. She's author of a book called Physician Suicide Letters Answered. And she's really starting to speak out about the rising rate of physician and and other healthcare professional burnout why is this happening what are the pressures that they un, that they're under and some of it is this intense scrutiny and the sensationalist negative press that's being put out that doesn't include any kind of sense of balance um to it at all and i think that's really important you know, Nobody wants to sit and say, oh, oh, woe is me, I'm a physician. People don't think of that. And yet, if we don't take proper care and don't treat the healers of our country with the equal respect that we want to treat the patients, that's a double standard. It doesn't make any sense at all. And in the long run, we're all going to be worse off. Well, the,
1: the, the doctor bashing goes back a long way. I mean, and it doesn't take a lot of memory to remember. I mean, heck, President Obama was doing doctor bashing, right? He accused... Uh, ironically, pediatricians who don't even do tonsillectomies, but he accused pediatricians of overdoing tonsillectomies and orthopedists of earning thirty thousand dollars from a leg amputation. So the doctor bashing goes way back. It even goes back to the days of managed care, twenty-five, thirty years ago. Uh, there's no question that the competitive stakeholders in healthcare—hospitals, bureaucrats, legislators, insurance plans, healthcare networks, systems, CEOs—you know—are are all benefiting or. Att- Attempt to benefit by diminishing doctors they view this as a zero-sum game so everything that, that doctors lose they gain and and this has been this has been going on for a long time
2: well the sad thing what it does is actually disempower patients at the same time because when when you focus on the patient-doctor relationship and say this is what we need to empower you have to empower both aspects of that relationship, patients and doctors and their ability to interact with each other in a win-win, you know, value-creating proposition. And by diminishing either aspect of those is doing a disservice to the people, people's ability to get quality medical care.
1: Well, by raising the question... As this article deliberately, clearly, deliberately attempts to do is to put the suggestion in the patient's mind that the doctor you're going to go see tomorrow morning might be addicted to narcotics, intoxicated, a sexual predator, a surgical butcher, and and undermine the trust and make it harder to build that trust. Um, yeah, let's look at some of the – let's drill down into some of the numbers in the article because one of the ironies is there's a few pieces of data in here if you get past the sensationalist uh, you know, anecdotal stories. Uh, there's some interesting things in here. The one I thought that was the most interesting is that they kind of bashed um, the online rating systems for doctors, the health grades and the Yahoo and all that kind of stuff and did kind of bring to light that those – Uh, You know, rating systems which, which, you know, allow, you know, patients to self select in terms of rating their docs, um, that even the bad docs get good ratings. And, uh, and so, you know, that was, you know, one interesting point. I found the statistics on malpractice kind of interesting. They said that of $1,250,000, $1,250,000 doctors that have been licensed since 1990, 15% have. One malpractice payment. Less than two percent have multiple malpractice payments that account for half of the entire malpractice payoff. Um, and the and the real bad apples down to a, a, a mere 500 doctors, right? Over, uh, what am I? What was that? Uh, 25 years? 26 years? So, in over 26 years, they found a whopping 500 doctors that were the real bad apples.
2: You know, and it totally excuse the whole role of what is malpractice and what is the purpose of it so i actually happened to be um a patient that ha- suffered a surgical mishap by an excellent excellent surgeon and he and i sat down in his office and we talked about the fact that a mistake occurred he- surgeons are not perfect we humans, and, and every and every patient is an individual. And so you get into the area and that something goes wrong, that happens. And so he very graciously explained, I mean, I was worried about what this was going to do to his reputation, but I also needed to be compensated for the fact that I had suffered a significant injury. I mean, I was basically unable to work for six months because of his error. But you know what? I knew he was a good doctor. And he was totally honest and upfront with me, and we were able to sit down face-to-face, and he said, the purpose of malpractice is to make you whole. I'm not perfect. You know, it's not like a way to punish or weed out bad doctors. It's a protection of the patient and the doctor about the fact that, Doctors are humans. And so this whole idea, uh, you know, just the whole way people think of malpractice as weeding out the, the horrible, evil, incompetent guys, it's wrong. Yeah, no, it we doesn't work. T- we take out um, malpractice insurance in order to protect our patients from the fact that we're human. And we will make mistakes. It ha- just happens.
1: It happens. It happens. And uh, there's there's some other interesting data in this article. Um I think the, one that, the other one that's the most interesting beyond those two bodies is um, the analysis of the comments uh, in the article. And Beth, you put a comment at the bottom, uh, it, which was very good. Uh, but uh, it was interesting because the article solicits comments. Uh, you know, About halfway through the article, it says, here's a link to our comment section. If you have a horror story about your incompetent horrible doctor that you would like to share with us, please do so. And here's the link to the comment section. Now, Beth, you looked at the comments. How many horror stories were reported by readers?
2: Oh, you know, I didn't read all oh, the comments. So You've got to tell me zero. About that.
1: Yes, there was, there, there was a total of five comments. Yours was the fifth. Uh, there was a total of zero, and this article has been out since March 30th and 31st, so it's been a couple of weeks. There are zero comments. Uh, of people volunteering horror stories about their doctors. Uh, the first comment was a poor, misguided individual who decided to cite the, old, the, the article To Err is Human, which is a, article, a landmark article on medical mistakes, um, but it approaches it from a, a systems failure approach and not individual incompetent physicians. So the two bodies of work have nothing to do with each other. The remaining four comments were all... Um, angry at consumer reports uh you know they said things like um you know this is this is hypocrisy Um, shame on you consumer reports Uh, i will no longer be looking to you for advice because this article is you know a pile of dog squeeze and uh and so interestingly they got none of the reader response that they that they wanted to get uh, and I think they have a lot invested in this article. If you go to the website or the magazine, there's, a, you know, they, there's the sort of editorial by the president of Consumer Reports at the front end. And they highlight this article and say this is a great thing. And you know, we have this thing called the Safe Patient Project. And uh, it, it's a very you – know, obviously they have a lot invested in this article. And then the article goes on to talk about um, how to choose a doctor. Right there's a section on how to choose a doctor, and and the the advice couldn't be worse. Right, uh, you know, uh, advice number one: check your insurance. Uh, you know, register your your insurance network to see if your doctor is on your insurance. Well, that's a reasonable thing to do, but it has nothing to do with the quality of your doctor. Um, don't uh, you know? Check hospital affiliations. Well, you know the docs that I know that I wouldn't you know send anybody to, and, and and we all know docs in our market in our communities that we would not let you know Papa Zit on our dog's rear end. They're out there, um, but you know checking hospital affiliations has nothing to do with that. Uh, and then they ask, they say check the appointment wait time and suggest a standards one week. Well, that's exactly the opposite. I mean, I would think you want the doctors that are busy. Not the doctors that are not busy, and, I, and, and at best, it has no correlation
2: with, you know, oh, absolutely with quality. Not. No, no quality. Those are not quality indicators in any way, shape, or form. Not
1: even, not not even close. And there was a couple of nuggets of decent advice. One is they said, "Don't trust these best doctor issues of magazines like Atlanta Magazine has it. I think every major metropolitan area has one issue a year of you know the best docs." Uh, and they said, "Don't trust that," which I think is probably good advice because I've seen some names in there for ENT that <laughs> I just roll my eyes and say, "Yeah, really." Um, so you know it, it's interesting, but uh, the, you know their advice on how to choose a doc was uh, was worthless. They also had this thing on um, on uh, great doctors, but you know what? I got to cut myself off. Uh, we're at the end of segment two. You are listening to the Doctors Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Beth Haynes.
0: Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We have a very special guest, a new board member of Docs for Patient Care Foundation, Dr. Beth Haynes. Um, she runs the Benjamin Rush Institute, which is an outstanding institute dedicated to the education of medical students and issues beyond their anatomy and physiology and pharmacology and all of those things. And, uh, and, and Beth has been so busy that... Uh, I I don't know how you do it all, but you guys were, I mean, I don't, and, and, and that's, you know, I mean, you know, the rest of us are busy like crazy, too, but as busy as we are, we still look up the mountain to you for all of the stuff that you are doing all day, every day, and you guys were all just in Washington, D.C. D. D. doing something really big, so tell us about that.
2: Okay, yeah, so this, um, from March 31st through April 3rd was the fourth. Annual Student Leadership Conference for the Benjamin Rush Institute. And we started out four years ago with like 25, 30 students. This year we had over 50. And three of them came from Nigeria. Totally stoked about this. This is really exciting. So we get together. Um, The Benjamin Rush Institute, first off, is trying to create a much broader conversation on our medical school campuses. Currently, if students get anything, any kind of formal instruction about healthcare policy, it is very much biased towards government is the total answer. Government should be measuring quality, telling doctors how to practice through protocols, a lot of stuff like that. And we would like to say, you know what? I don't think that's the whole story. <coughs> Excuse me. So we support students who want to bring in speakers or have debates on a much much broader kind of um, perspective. And you know what? I'm going to have to... <laughs> you talk. So the Benjamin Rush Institute partners with medical students. We set up chapters on campuses throughout the country. We've got about 26 different schools that are involved with us right now. They hold debates, they host speakers, try to have educational events just to talk about all those aspects of medicine that aren't really the science of being a physician. So what's it like in the business of medicine, medical ethics, Medical economics, healthcare policy, all those kinds of things, and then once a year, we bring those student leaders together for an annual conference and provide them with policy instruction and just the ability to interact with practicing physicians. And so we had that this last um, week in Washington, D.C. And it was absolutely thrilling. We partnered this year with the American Enterprise Institute, primarily because of the fabulous work that Arthur Brooks, it, their, um, their president and executive director, is doing. That it's really grappling head-on with how do we care for our most vulnerable citizens, the poor and the, and the really, really sick. So those of us who believe that free enterprise and limited government, civil society, is the best way to address those issues, we need to answer those very legitimate concerns of the people who think that government is the way to solve those problems. So how do we answer those? And that's what we created this whole conference around, Um, bringing the students in for a full day of policy talks um, at the American Enterprise Institute on Friday. We had a debate over um, which is the best way to address the health needs of the poor. Is it through government programs or through free enterprise, civil society, and charity? And that was held at George Washington University. That was great. Um, And then we had another day and a half that was interspersed with how do you run a chapter, how to hold events, and various other aspects of being really the physician um, activist, getting involved in um, medicine, beyond just what you do in your office, because you cannot ignore it anymore.
1: There's no question. Uh, agreed that uh, yes, our our obligation to the patients now goes beyond the exam room, the clinic, the operating room, and now sort of branches out into advocacy, policy, and and all these things. So it is it's awesome that uh, that you're able to give these folks, um, you know, the the education they sorely need, because clearly, and even way back when we were in med school, uh, you know, I think there was clearly an undercurrent um, sort of, you know, looking down on you know capitalistic free market things that free f- fee for service was evil and that uh, you know we really need to to be moving towards you know what would we would consider to be clearly the wrong direction in, in you know with a single payer government driven sort of medicare for all thank you bernie sanders uh, kind of thing and uh, and so it it's important uh, that you all are providing balance uh, to allow students to, to, to see all sides of the argument and, and let them decide for
2: themselves, which is all we're asking. Exactly, exactly. And and it's just it's so tragic that to hear these some of the stories that the medical students will relate to me where they are publicly shamed by their instructors, their professors, just for asking questions about the current trend of healthcare policy. And so we want to be able to give them the moral support as well as the intellectual um, background for being able to say, you know what, I'm not sure your point of view really has taken everything into consideration. And that's really all we want to do is open up that dialogue. I mean, I, so after 20 years of practice primarily in emergency medicine, um, they passed the ACA and I decided, you know what, I can't, I can't keep taking care of patients because I only can help a small number of people. And policy, politics has become so in, intrusive into the practice of medicine that I really felt like I was going to be able to serve many more patients by becoming involved in healthcare policy than continuing to see the small number of people that I would see just in my community and my day-to-day work.
1: Well it's I mean it, anything at least in our generation Beth any anything beyond anatomy physiology pharmacology etc cetera, etc cetera, pathology was any expression beyond those was frowned upon whether it was developing a business acumen or marketing sense uh, or any of those things that every other part of our society you know accepts and embraces uh, and I think they kind of used that as a Trojan horse to kind of suppress thinking and it, at least in my experience clearly you know it was an attempt to to brainwash and I think it's it's we need to make clear that, that we're not committing the same mistake on the other side of the ideal spectrum because,
2: well i think i think we have you know part of it you do not you do need to be careful the people who are advocating these very government-centric um policies are doing it from a place of of heartfelt conviction and passion but what i would invite them to do is say you know what Yours is not the only perspective that actually is caring about patient care and patient quality and affordability, and let's – Let's quit making each other into enemies and realize that as physicians, as healers, we really do care about our patients, the, the quality of medicine that they, that they um, encounter, the affordability. We all care about that. We have disagreements about how to achieve that. But we're not evil, terrible people because we disagree with each other about those methods. Let's talk about that. Let's get that out in the open and quit making you know, pariahs out of, of each other.
1: So there's parallels, right? There's, there's some parallels between what you guys are doing with Benjamin Rush and my current experiment engaging the government because i hear the same thing on the government side which is that uh, you know they're living in ivory towers and they have no interest in being open minded and and so you know the recent developments which i've i've covered in the past and i don't want to take away from your time to 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 talk about again but but people are saying the same thing to me which is it isn't worth it to engage the bureaucracy uh, so, what do you say to folks that say it's not worth it to engage the academicians who live in their own ivory towers with their own little world, et cetera, et
2: cetera? Well, I think if you if you don't speak up at the very least and say, you know what, I don't, I'm not sure I can agree with you. I think there's enough, there's more. I mean, you just challenge it to that point, and maybe that's it. But working with these students is so. Um, Inspiring. They are optimistic. They're energetic. They're creative, and I mean, what part of the the conference? We gave an entire half of a day to the students to be able to put together their presentations. These these students. I mean, they're in the middle of a, an incredibly intense medical education. A couple of them have been creating companies and oh, to be able to do. <laughs> I mean, I, I just please, you know, maybe about two and a half weeks, 3 weeks from now, we're going to have some of their their presentations up on our on our website, benjaminrushinstitute.org. But they're they're talking about these incredibly creative things that they're doing as positive solutions of how we're going to take care of patients in a way that's going to help them get quality care for a lot less, and it's business it's it's free enterprise, which is allowing those um, creative processes to come out in a way that actually benefits the patients
1: well, I tell you what these because i
2: got I had
1: the privileges you know of meeting some of these students at last year 's conference that was held at uh, at heritage, and uh, yeah, these guys just blew me away they are they are a hundred times smarter than I was. Uh, at at that point in my medical education. uh, And so, yeah, it is gratifying to see that, uh, you know, they are are running so much faster and jumping so much higher than we did and certainly another, at least another source of hope for the future for our profession to be sure.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, nobody's going to want to go into medicine and we're going to get second-class students. And I don't see any of that right now. I see these... very dedicated individuals, highly creative, and they're looking for positive solutions. And I think that's what, Mike, you with Docs for Patient Care Foundation and United Physicians and Surgeons of America and a number of other um, physician organizations are finally waking up to. We've got to quit complaining and start offering positive solutions. That's what these young doctors are hungry for that's what they will help us create and it's just it's really really inspiring
1: so let me throw a question at you that's and full disclosure for the listeners i didn't give beth a chance to prepare for this question but do you ever get any anecdotal stories from the students that they're getting pushback from other classmates
2: oh yeah absolutely do tell. Oh, if you
1: re- do you remember any details? Do tell. I mean, you did say that you know that some students are getting sort of publicly ostracized by faculty. Um, what about classmates?
2: Okay, so I had one chapter. I'm not going to say which one it is because I don't want to, you know, put anybody on the spot. But where there was a student who was trying to start a Benjamin Rush Institute chapter and was so badgered by a fellow classmate, "How dare you do this? Blah blah blah," that. He ended up just saying, I, I quit. I can't stand this. I, I've got to I've, I've become a doctor. I can't huh. fight this battle.
1: Ah, well, that's sad. Well, we are at the end of the segment. We'll finish this thought uh, in a couple of minutes. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Dr. Beth Haynes.
3: This is Dr. George.
0: Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you.
2: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchek. Thank you very much for sticking with us all the way through segment four. All of this is good stuff. And uh, we have very special guests, Dr. Beth Haynes from the Benjamin Rush Institute and one of our newest board members at the Doctor Patient Care Foundation, which is a thrilling thing indeed. So we've been spending the hour first talking about this nasty Consumer Reports doctor bashing article and I think we dissected that out pretty well and then we went on to more positive stuff uh, because Dr. Haynes here runs the Benjamin Rush Foundation uh, which is a Institute. I'm sorry, Institute. See I always get those confused. Thank you. The Benjamin Rush Institute uh, that uh, is an organization designed to balance the educa- education of medical students uh, beyond the classroom and beyond the hardcore sciences and, and uh, hardcore uh, clinical uh, stuff that they are getting. So, Beth, I'm just going to give you the floor again and let you uh, finish talking about the meeting last week.
2: Yeah, so we had last, um, we we had our fourth annual um, student leadership conference, and last year we had one student international students. This year we had three students come from Nigeria. And what an eye-opener that was, let me tell you. People talk about poverty in the United States. They have no clue what poverty really is. Um, I first started interacting with Aisha Olinlegi, who is now a soon-to-be sixth-year medical student. Instead of starting medical um, education after four years of Undergraduate, they start after high school, so they do a six-year program. So she' is almost going to be a sixth year. that's her last year of medical school. And she and I started trading emails three years ago, and it was during the whole Ebola episode. Oh, it was yeah. through a doctor strike. It was through an election where she said she didn't go outside of her apartment for a week for fear for physical fear of harm because of the rioting in the streets i mean we have no idea how well off we are well she attended this year and brought two more um, medical students with her it was so wonderful to have them be part of it and eyeshot gave a a talk as part of the student presentations that was incredibly eye-opening. The vast majority of Nigerian healthcare is paid for by the government. It's called the healthcare sector. And it's this really elaborate system. Aisha talked about an experience that she had as a fifth year medical student to go out into a rural area of Nigeria and um, interact with a surgeon who had set up his own fee-for-service clinic in rural Nigeria.
1: Man, that had to be a high bar.
2: Incredible. And this guy was so devoted to trying to provide the highest quality for for an affordable cost For basically a a population that's destitute compared to what we think of in the United States. His surgical table, he put together something using a car jack in order to elevate his surgical table. What? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm familiar with car jacks. How do you do that? you know oh. he put i don't you, the details i don't know but it was like this crank that he had and he used this car jack and that was how he lifted up his his surgical table and he had homemade autoclaves and the way the way he created the steam was by burning corn cobs <laughs> oh man and his whole his whole he has dedicated his entire life to saying i want to make this as you know the least expensive possible i will do everything i can to make this affordable but i also want to provide quality so to this little rural village people would travel from other villages i mean people don't have cars and easy transportation like we do but they would travel to this other village and pay cash Residents go to the government system because they knew they were going to get quality care. Wow! An incredible, incredible story. So, I mean, part of, part of what what she was doing out there as a medical student, they would be instructed on, okay, we want you to go out there and you need to test their water supply. Is their water supply clean or not? You know, it's just the the level of need and the way people are able to um, husband the resources that they have to be able to provide for the people that they need to provide for, is just inspirational. So that that was an incredible story. Dang, that, make,
1: that makes me feel guilty because, you know, yesterday I was bellyaching to the surgical services at my hospital because there was one instrument missing from my vocal cord implant set.
2: <laughs> ah, you're a whiner! What Dang. a baby! What a baby! I tell you uh, what, yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah, I cannot wait to get this. So we will. We video recorded all of the talks that the students had, and we will eventually get them up on our website, BenjaminRushInstitute.org, on the video page. Um, but iShot's experience is absolutely inspirational. I mean, the so. Um, one of the students wants to become an ophthalmologist, another one um, wants to be a general surgeon, another one a pediatrician. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible what these guys go through. They talk. So Aisha, last year when she came, went and was able to participate in a tour on the Capitol Hill, and she said yeah. there are more defibrillators on Capitol Hill than her hospital has. Um,
1: (laughs) i met her she was awesome i remember that from last year yeah
2: just incredible i mean she talks about the fact that you know they don't have even electricity 24 hours a day and yet they're trying to care for people it's just astounding what they're up against
1: man that's a that is an incredibly inspirational story i I mean it's going to make the medical students so self-reliant Uh, that, uh, you know, I'll bet if they got an instrument missing from their set,
2: they probably won't even notice. (laughs) Well, they'll say, okay, what can I jerry-rig? But, you know, it is a different standard. We do, I mean, I've practiced in rural California. I've practiced in San Jose. There's a different standard, and appropriately so, about the level of care and the expectations. That's important, and that's totally legitimate. But we do need to keep our perspective when we talk about trying to get by um, and and what what kind of care we're trying to supply to people? So
1: so, what kind of procedures were what was he doing on his car jack based operating table? I mean, what, what kind of did he tell you anything about what he was doing? Was it general surgery or a specialty? It was, or? It was general general
2: surgery. General surgery.
1: So like gallbladder, I mean, appendicitis. That just, you know, just, just sections. Sort of, yeah, C sections. So so he's crossing over into. Wow. That's, I mean, th- that's got to be a, a, a scope of practice that, you, you know, you could never do in this country for obvious reasons.
2: No, you can't anymore. I mean, it used to be family practitioners would deliver babies, do C-sections, do vasectomies. And, and we've gotten to the point with a division of labor, which is a free enterprise entity, we have gotten so that we can specialize and we can have people be experts in various areas that's a blessing that's that's a blessing of free enterprise and capitalism and people don't realize
1: that and this guy's got one little island of capitalism in an otherwise single-payer system and people are not only uh, you know paying their own money which i imagine they don't have a whole lot of um, exactly and you know really putting themselves out transportation wise to to even get to this place i wonder how Many miles away, people are traveling to this thing.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, one of the the programs that we've really encouraged the students to um, take advantage of is is a um, documentary called Poverty Inc, which talks about all these well intended um, efforts at foreign aid and how they 've actually undermined the indigenous people being able to solve their own problems and and, and really harmed them and i 've asked my BRI students, the Benjamin Russian Institute, and students to show this, and then say, What can we look at you know how what can we learn from how we failed at adequately addressing the poverty needs internationally and how can we apply that to the United States really really important stuff
1: so uh, we got about five minutes left do you want to make some comments about the, the the future plans that you have for BRI and what's coming up in the next several months or however you want to tackle Ex- that
2: oh I'd love to I'd love to so we one of the things we did was we talked to the students about what topics would they like to see explored in the future and there's Based on a recent Mayo Clinic um, article that talks about the the high level of physician burnout, Pamela Weibel's work on physician suicide. People, you know, the students are really concerned about this. How do we deal with this? It, it fit in very well with Arthur Brooks' um, talk about the importance of connection and what is the root of happiness, and that all comes back to the physician physician-patient relationship. So what can we do to help the healers heal themselves in a way and sustain themselves what what does that practice of medicine look like that really feeds the soul of both the physician and takes care of the medical needs of the patient and that's what we're going to look at at our next that's going to be the the focus of our next conference i'm I'm totally excited about it because the, the level the, the rising level of physician and medical suicide is just a, a really a horrible tragedy. What can we do with our medical education system? What can we do with our practice of medicine? And a lot of it really, really comes back to let's make the doctor and the patient central to the practice of medicine. It feeds the soul of the, of the physician because that's why we go into medicine anyway. We want to care for our patients. We don't want to be clicking boxes on some EMR that's mandated by uh, the government, right? Don't get me started. Yeah. Oh, uh, I know. I, I knew that would, would, <laughs> would uh, ring a bell with you. But, yes, and... you know, we want to be able to focus on our patients. And our patients want us to focus on them and their individual unique needs how do we get back to that so that's going to be the focus of our next conference and I'm totally excited about it well in
1: in some of the stuff that I've read about physician suicide I was kind of struck by uh, that it's really younger docs that are doing this. I, I was guessing that it would be sort of folks in our age bracket who, after, you know, killing yourselves for 20 years, you finally go, okay, I just, I just can't do this anymore. This has sucked the life out of me. But I guess it turns out that's not really the case, is it?
2: No, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I wasn't aware of that. Doesn't yeah. surprise me because. Folks our age are not that far from retirement. We figure, okay, let's stick it out for a little while longer and then we're done. But these young guys who are looking forward to this, is this what all I have to look forward to? That I mean yeah. suicide and depression it's it's a it comes from that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. What are they helpless and hopeless about? The sense of auto, autonomy, control professionalism the ability to really provide with the the kind of practice that they and quality of medicine that they want to that's what's being sucked away from us and that's what we need to be able to reclaim and partner with our with our patients in this right i mean patients aren't happy either and i don't blame them but the patients need to understand the doctors aren't happy either
1: well benjamin rush is in a in a perfect position to deal with this because it means not only are you sort of educating your students to give them balance but it's a it's a mental and psychological and spiritual preparation for what happens when they pop out of the end of training and find that you know their world is not what they expected it to be. Uh, Beth, thanks so much. We have reached the end of the hour. You have been listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with very special guest Beth Haynes from the Benjamin Rush Institute. Got it right this time. Thank you very much, Mike. It's been fabulous. Very good. Thanks. This
0: is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.